Welcome everyone to episode 36 of Popcorn Peeps. This is the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode, we're going to discuss the 1980s sports drama based on a true story, Raging Bull. The film was directed by Martin Scorsese and stars Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Kathy Moriarty. To break down this film, I am joined by... I just left this section blank in my notes. I normally come back to it when I think of funny names. Uh, not today, man. We're joined by Craig Moore. Hey, everybody. I want a nice, clean fight. Sarah Alexander. He ain't pretty no more. And Chris McMullen. Good evening. Anyway, what are your first impressions of Raging Bull? I always thought that this was a sports movie, and maybe that's never why I put too much credence in it. But watching this back, it is so not in the same vein as Rocky at all. And I found that the boxing component, I don't know if it's a metaphor would be the correct term or what it is, but that seemed to just be a continuation of his life and like a way for him to bring out things in his life onto the boxing ring. Like it, the outcome wasn't really the main purpose or him training for the fights was the main purpose it was just his life reflected in the ring he was always on he always was ready in the ring and in real life he was just always on attack and yeah he dealt with a lot of his issues in the ring and i found this instead of a sports movie it seemed to be more of a character study I think that makes a lot of sense because originally Scorsese didn't want to do the film. He wasn't interested in boxing at all. But when he connected the metaphor of boxing to anything else someone could be struggling with, then he began to see it as less of a, a sports related film and more of just a, a character drama and a journey and a redemption arc yeah. and a couple of other things. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you introduced this movie as a sports movie. I don't think that counts at all. This is a kind of an emotional drama. This is a story about the characters. Specifically, it's a story about the raging bull it's kind of a story it's it's almost like a period piece about this man who the only emotion he's comfortable expressing is anger even though he feels tons of other emotions the only one that he's he's able to express is anger and the only way he's able to express it is through shouting and hitting things he's a very unhealthy man and if it makes it sound like i'm giving credibility and i was impressed by this film i would love to say that i was but unfortunately a lot of the film because that character was very one-dimensional it was annoying interesting how about you chris this was interesting the really cool thing about jake is this is a movie where the blanche is the main character yeah right i fucking hated him i loved de niro's acting the story was meh but some of the cinematography and some of the techniques used were awesome I totally agree with you, man. Like, you hate this character, but, like, you can't say that De Niro didn't deserve all of the accolades he got. He comes on screen, and if you see him and Vicky on screen at the same time, De Niro just brings this presence of stress and tension, and you're like, oh, God, like, what is this lunatic gonna do? He just brings the character, the psychopath, to life. Uh, yeah, the film is a technical masterclass. You got the amazing audio, acting, choreography. All of this is great, but it's extremely uncomfortable to watch. And now I don't I don't mean that the film isn't worth making. There's a lot of great, uncomfortable films. Uh, Schindler's List we're going to check out in a little bit. But man, that being said, Raging Bull was not one of those great, uncomfortable movies. <laughs> Focusing a little bit more on the narrative, I felt like I was a little bit confused as to what the takeaway was supposed to be. You start off with this like Rocky-style rise to the top but you kind of get bait and switched a little bit because it almost converts itself into like a full redemption story but the only issue is is that i never felt like this guy was ever redeemed at all so like what's the messages is he he's learned 
from his experience in the chain gang and losing everything that ah, I've, I've been living my life wrong or is it like symbolism for like sometimes life's a bitch and so maybe he doesn't get his just desserts I just couldn't ever find myself in a place at the end where I felt happy with the way we got there or any of the resolution of anything I, I don't know it, it felt a little messy Lamada should have been behind bars for the rest of it and that was the only way I was going to be satisfied fuck this guy <laughs> No, I disagree with Jordan. I, I, I don't think there was a redemption in this. I don't think he did anything worthy for redemption. Like, he just paid the price for the things that he did. But seeing him at the end play the victim so much, like, he recited that um, dialogue from On the Waterfront. How dare you cite lines to a significantly better movie than you are no. in? It was perfect because he's talking to himself in the mirror. And so he's saying like, one is Charlie, one is Terry. But he doesn't get that because in his head, he's still thinking that everybody else did this to me. The mob did this to me. My actual brother did this to me, but it's him. He's his own worst enemy. And that's what I liked about this movie. With Rocky, they really tried to make him a lovable idiot, even though he did some fucked up things. And this movie, this guy was just a piece of shit. Some people are, and some people don't get redemption at the end. It doesn't have to be tied up in a pretty package. He doesn't have any redeeming qualities. He was just an awful, insecure person. And I thought De Niro did that perfectly. I thought that the dialogue in this movie was a D plus at best. I found it annoying. I found it carried on a lot of the time. It was way too cyclical. And I understand that what they were trying to do is they were trying to build this character as a guy who never let stuff go. But goddamn, some of these scenes went on way longer over the same stuff than they needed to. Where, like, I'm saying to Jordan, and I say, hey, hand me, hand me that drink, will you? And you're like, you want this drink? Yeah, I want that drink. How many times I gotta tell you I want that drink? Give me the drink. I need the cup. Why don't you pour the damn, pour the liquid into the damn cup and hand me the drink? You want this drink? I'm gonna give you the drink. Yeah, give me the drink. Like, holy fuck, give him the drink. <laughs> Welcome to every, like, Italian stereotype <laughs> yeah. movie. And then there's a complaint order in there. And, like, why don't you get it yourself? Uh, fuck you. No, fuck you. Like, why is it? <laughs> oh, my God. This was, like, half the fucking movie was these conversations that provided me nothing and went nowhere. It was so annoying. Unless it was coming from Joey, in which case, all bangers. Very funny. He at least his were clever. Nobody else's were clever. Yeah. But if Joey was Joey was popping off or doing some bit, like it was always great. Like um, Joey's Joey had had some great bits. Like I liked when he was in the when he was in the club and he leans over. He's like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry about it. Here, let me clean off your tie. And then he takes the drink and he throws it at the guy again. He's like, hey, go fuck yourself. Like the, that bait and switch. At least it was clever. You're right. That was clever. But a lot of it coming from Jake was just irritating, and it, it happened way too many times in the film. I think my favorite Joey one, just just while we're on the topic, is when they're talking about um, who's the guy he fights, the young whippersnapper, Gennaro. Oh, Gennaro. Yeah, yeah. When he, <laughs> Vicky brings up Gennaro, he's like, oh, he's got a pretty face, and Joey's just got like, what are you getting so upset for? Who cares if he got his pretty face? You go in the ring, you mess it up a little, then you don't got a pretty face no more. Problem solved. Yeah. Like shit like that. It was so good. But like the overall narrative, like as much as some of the elements stood out to me, like again, like all of the production side of things was good. I just didn't find like, like other than just being stressed, it, it made me feel emotion, but it didn't, I didn't leave being like, wow, what a great story. What a great metaphor. What a great blank. I didn't feel like there was but a takeaway from it. It was a it. biopic. You gotta, you gotta think of it as a biopic, right? But like, is like, this story even the, worth telling? Like, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This story has a great big glaring moral in it. In, in big neon letters, which is funny because it's black and white, but 
great big neon letters that if you can't see what the moral is, Jordan, then then maybe you, you are the man who doesn't need to see it. The moral of this story is get therapy. <laughs> if you can't communicate your emotions with people in ways other than screaming at them and hitting things, then you need to fucking talk to a therapist. I mean, okay, sure. But I, I felt like I really understood why this got mixed reviews upon its release. Because again, this was one of the ones that had a slow burn, right? It came out and people were 50-50 on it. Audiences weren't sure. Critics weren't sure. And then over time, for whatever reason, as a lot of these films do, they gain this cult following and it somehow penetrates into the mainstream. I feel like if your film is orientated towards psychopathic lunatics, why is it on a list like this? Like, this seems super niche. Because it's not. On release, it was probably 50-50 because people thought they were going to go in and see a boxing movie. People thought they were going to go in and see a new Rocky movie right but that's not what they got they got a psychological drama about a man whose head wasn't right probably because he got punched in it so many times there was there's a lot of that it, it is it's a it's a study in toxic masculinity sure absolutely right? like that's and i can see why maybe at least some percentage of the like what 1980 men audience wouldn't have enjoyed yeah. that might have hit a little too close to home like, yeah. imagine you're a 30-year-old man in 1980, so you were born in 1950, and you think you're going to go in and watch a boxing movie, but what you actually see is a story of a man who acts like you and your father did, who has his entire life fall apart around him, and it, you leave just feeling sad. Mm -hmm. Well said. I didn't know it was based on a true story until after I watched it, and I felt like the fact that it was based on a true story made it worse. I looked into a little bit of the backstory, and oddly enough, this is an incredibly tame and like censored version of the real events. And I almost feel like producing something like this does such a disservice to the victims of this real story that the children and Vicky personally, she was beat multiple times within an inch of her life and you don't see that. It's, it's sterilized significantly. I don't think you see this and really understand the gravity of the situation. I think it's almost a misrepresentation or a glorification of some of the actual events that transpired. And I really didn't like that. I would disagree because I don't think you could look at this and say it glorified anything to do with him. Like I came out thinking he's a piece of shit even at the end of the movie he's still a piece of shit that's literally the, that's how i wrote down the description of him he's even worse than they show you right so when he saw it later in life he reached out to vicky and he's like was i this bad and she's like you were worse so seeing this made him think like oh shit i was a piece of shit but no in reality you were so much worse than that so yeah i don't think this glorified anything and the victims it's all within the family and i'm assuming by that point if he's still on speaking terms with it they have some type of arrangement like this wasn't like a mass shooting or something it was just a family story he sold the right to this book and there it is you got to keep in mind too 1980 you don't get the like what you could show in 80 is very different than what you can show in 2020 or 2014 even i agree chris you know i think there was one one scene where she had a bruise on her face and the reason that we didn't see her broken nose and and blood and whatever whatever she went through that poor woman whatever she went through the reason we don't see it is because scorsese probably wasn't allowed to show it he actually held on to his rights over post-production uh way more than a lot of other directors because he believed this was going to be one of his final giant projects and he wanted it to be a swan song and so he basically clung to it and tried as best he could to keep other people's hands off of it but i, I think you're right i think that makes a lot of sense he, he showed what he thought he could get away with. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about some of our characters here? Absolutely. Who do you guys want to start with? I don't know. We talked a little yeah, bit about Jake already. I don't know if we know, Jake need already. to talk about Jake further, but like Joey or Vicky. 
Hold on, I wanna, I just do wanna get one gauge on, on Jake here. So at the very beginning, he was married and then he went and started picking up this 15 year old girl. Jordan, scale of one to 10, how much is this guy an SFB? Huh? Oh, he resets the scale. <laughs> SFB is a scale for like lesser tier assholes. There's a new, there's a, like a SS, what was it? <laughs> Super SOB scale. And that's a whole other range of one to 10. It's, he's on there somewhere. I Googled this just while we're on the topic of picking up 15-year-olds to be like, holy shit. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of pedophiles. So in reality, when she was 15, he was like 19, 20. But shooting this, the actress Kathy was 20, playing a 15-year-old. But Robert De Niro was 37. And I was still like, ah, that's 17 years. She was 18 when they filmed it. Oh, that's, I ch- could it. be, but it was, she was 20 when it was released. And I just went by the year. But it was a four, it was a four. Either way, four year it's gap. Weird. Four year gap. Four year gap is fine. It's not awesome. Five year gap at that point in your life is a massive fucking gap. You're talking uh, about someone who's basically like partly of, of the way through puberty compared to someone whose brain is just about done developing. Like they're they're an adult. They're a grown up. You're, this is a they're a child. I'm sorry, a 16 year old is a child and shouldn't be fucking no. a 21 year old man. Where I thought this was gonna go is he was going to basically spin in circles and we were gonna see the same cycle repeated over and over again. He was gonna have his first wife. He was gonna love the honeymoon stage, ruin the relationship, but you don't get to see that bit so you get to see what he did with his first wife with his second wife and i thought this was going to be very cyclical and he was going to move from woman to woman cheating on them and cheating on them until at some point he he was married seven times was he yeah oh so it it did end up happening and i thought thought that was an interesting story to see just how how incapable someone is of learning from their past mistakes because you see this a lot with real people in real life too where they they do the same things over and over again and you think like how can you not realize what's wrong with you and i thought that's the kind of story we were going to get here so i thought that was interesting to see him kind of leave a tarnished first relationship and then immediately ruin the second one once he got bored you just want to talk a little bit about vicky I mean, good for her for finally leaving, but we, she didn't get in. She she was an accessory. She was an accessory. Yeah, she was. She wasn't uh, not like uh, not an accessory to the crime, an accessory to the story. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, you and I totally went in different directions. Oh yeah, I, no. I, I, was, I was like, wait, like, so she's fucking culpable. To her <laughs> no, calm like, down. Holy victim blaming, Batman. I just look like a boomer. I'm not a boomer. I'm okay. A, sorry, a carry on. You were saying she was an accessory, and I was like, she was. She was just a plot point. We got to see her grow a little bit and finally leave him after way too long. Even that was almost done as more of an event to show us what happened to him next. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. You, you mm-hmm. On the money. On the money. I exactly. thought the actress did a really good job, though, with what the role that she had to play 15. And then especially oh, yeah. when they were fighting because he was accusing her of sleeping with his brother. And she's like, yeah, and I fucked the rest of the neighborhood, too. And that whole fight, I thought she did an amazing job. And I'd never heard of her before. I've never seen this actress in my life. Yeah, I've only seen her. Uh, one thing actually was really interesting was there's some line and she's like, he doesn't want to fuck me. So acknowledging that it's not like the your stereotypical excuse, well, she doesn't want to, yeah. you know, like I, I the reason I go run around is because my wife here at home just isn't interested. And they made it very clear no, that was not the case. He has some issues and he's insecure about them. And I think that just contributes to his rage. Mm-hmm. I can't fulfill her. So she he has had emotional to intelligence. Yeah. Zero even. I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and say they probably didn't have kids help phone in the 1940s, which is a real tragedy because uh, Vicky could have used some help. Even seeing Vicky's struggle, I thought was a great kind of gateway 
into seeing how not exactly all women, but a lot of women were treated during the middle part of the century there. You just lose all of your autonomy and seeing it from 2022, at least, at least you know that you've made a little bit of progress. Because as you said, based on a true story, and not to say that domestic violence doesn't happen now, but it really feels like we've come a long way since then. It was kind of like a, oh, well, our world's crumbling around us. Gas is $84 a gallon, but at least this isn't necessarily the reality we live in anymore. At least women can have jobs and open their own bank accounts. Absolutely. So at least you got that going for and you. And we're frowned nice. upon yeah. to date 15-year-olds now, I would think, too. So you're True. not ensnaring them as a child as much. I learned, too, prior to this relationship, she started dating Jake when she was 15. She was also raped when she was 14. So before she even got into this disaster with Jake, she was already like, this wasn't even the start to her descent into this nightmare life. She had a really, really rough go of it. And it, it makes it a little more believable now that she would put up with some of this if she's had a history and a childhood of abuse and torment like that. Like you can see that she would start to normalize this kind of erratic and absurd behavior. And she did bring my favorite moment of the movie though. When she finally had the courage to drive up in the car and say, hey, kick rocks. I'm taking the kids. I'm leaving you. I talked to a lawyer. It's done. I made a plan this time and left. I was like, you go girl fuck this guy and at least in a film where like everything is so crushingly depressing you get a little bit of high there yeah, towards the end of the film finally like something good has happened to some of these people that actually deserve it and she got out before he turned her into a puddle of mush which is uh, pro probably what could have even happened at that point do you have a couple things i wanted to bring up every single damn time you got a mafia it's russian or italian <laughs> that's a little fucked up uh, uh anyway who wants to join my mafia organization i'm sick of working nine to five let's get into organized crime any takers no hey i'm not part of the mafia i am not already engaged in a criminal operation don't put it into words craig that's like the first rule <laughs> fuck this guy <laughs> you're lucky you're lucky was this one of the films that kind of pioneered that i wouldn't think so but like the stereotype the came stereotype from the organized somewhere. crime that occurred when the Italians immigrated to the United States within their mafia organizations and then continued it here, that's what brought it. And then when they got into... Okay, but like Polish people can't run a meth organization. They sure can. Oh, they sure like... can. And there is, there's a Polish uh, mafia. There's a, a Vietnamese not mafia. But you um, never see it in film, ever. Ever. Maybe it's because you only watched, what are we at? You've watched about 50 films in your life. But, I got uh, bullied into watching Nobody, and that had a Russian mafia. So I mean, one of the two. Are you sure they were Russian? They could have been Chechnyan. They could have been Ukrainian. No, they're definitely Russian. You ever, there's this other, what's that other that other one? You may not have heard it. The Yakuza? Oh, my other point here is just about the on the waterfront call out. I think it's so funny that this guy thinks he could have had class. He could have been a contender and everyone else is bringing him down. Like he's been sabotaged by anyone who isn't himself. I thought it was perfect. I think it's perfect. It, it speaks to him so well. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was perfect. I know you on the waterfront fanboys would be creaming yourself at the end of that movie too. I was just like, wow, congratulations. You've now referenced a better movie than yourself or Scorsese well done <laughs> heard he was gonna possibly quote like some British stuff some like King Richard or whatever but they thought this was more topical because it was also a film that took place in America and so it would have resonated more with that kind of yeah and you have the oh, boxing isn't the, isn't the Bronx you, you in have like the brother England? isn't the Bronx in Africa isn't the Bronx in South America no I know geography now <laughs> he knows that <laughs> do you guys hear about the Bronx Bull unofficial sequel I read just the headline on Wikipedia but I didn't I haven't seen it, but I thought it was so funny that they tried to piggyback 
Yeah, 2017. They just tried to piggyback. They're like, oh, this is this classic film. Some of, one of the best films of all time. And they're just like, their original title was Raging Bull 2, the continuation of the LaMada saga. Like, yeah, I'm just going to make Matrix 5, guys. <laughs> and then wasn't it Scorsese didn't give them the rights to make the sequel, so that's why they rechanged it to like the Bronx yeah, Bull. Because he didn't want it affiliated with his movie at all. They sued him. He's like, no, yeah. fuck you. Get your pile of garbage away from my masterpiece. <laughs> sure, I made millions off of your life story, but you don't need to continue it. Have you seen it? The Bronx? No, but I'm curious. It's probably just some shitty boxing movie. Is it actually a sequel or is it just a re- like a 2016 retelling? No, it- no, it's a sequel, but it's just Jake did it himself. Like he was the spur behind it. Oh, so it's like a vanity piece. Probably. Yes. He okay. only died in like 2017. He lived to be super yeah. old. I guess when you're the biggest, strongest guy and you don't fuck with you, you can live 40 long. Has a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. But how much of that is angry Scorsese fanboys? True. Yeah, when you factor that in, it's probably watchable. We should watch it. Do you guys have anything else you want to bring up before we, uh, we move on? Yes, I want to talk about Joey. Joey was fucking hilarious so i've seen joe pesci in lots of stuff surprisingly another italian mafia movie really joe pesci you may have heard of that yeah joe pet did you notice there was actually quite a few people who were in raging bull who were also in goodfellas that was pretty awesome or there's also some pran- sopranos I think they people got too the, they have like the list yeah. like the mobster list yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> we have a film we're making bring the Who's whole free? family <laughs> there's just one agent and these are all his clients and when anytime someone wants to make a mob movie they just call up and it's like uh, hey Sam yeah yeah get your boys together we're filming another piece Joe you hear that my boy Scorsese's having a spaghetti dinner <laughs> bring the whole family I can't do the accent because it's racist but if a Jordan does it it's okay yeah because he's a Costa just to be clear he's he gets a pass I saw Joe Pesci was in this and I said to Shelly before the the thing are we going to get the unhinged Joe Pesci oh yeah yeah that's right. a good question right because there's like two Joe Pesci's there's the funny guy yeah. and there's, there's the- my cousin Vinny crazy guy <laughs> and there's whatever the character's name is from goodfellas and we got the unhinged one it was good we got it makes the good me wonder one. if that the door scene in daredevil was actually a callback to raging bull i don't know that'd be interesting because there is a scene where kingpin smashes someone's head in the inside in a door oh. like a car door in yes a car door like a very similar to uh to raging bull I Joey's fantastic, and Pesci absolutely kills it. It's crazy to think that this guy couldn't get gigs and actually left Hollywood for years, and then they brought him back into the fold because they saw one of his older movies and thought he'd be a good fit. So he was, like, totally out of the game. I think he was working as a waiter at the time. But they just brought him back in, and I can't help but think if this movie was made in 2022, we'd have Jonah Hill as Oh, as my Joey. God. <laughs> <laughs> just with all of the profanity yep. and the way they kind of act, I felt like there were a lot of yeah, parallels. Yeah. I had so much fun. His lines, oh, his lines are great. And you try to figure this guy out for a little bit. You're like, is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? You see him like rip Vicky out of the club because he's talk- she's talking with another guy. And you think, oh, this bad guy he just wants to help his brother out or whatever and keep her in chains. And then he doesn't tell his brother. And you think, oh, wow, maybe he has a little bit of sympathy for the situation that's going on. And then you find out that's not even the case because he just she's trying to fuck her. And that's why he doesn't tell his brother. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. He just seems 
seems to kind of be looking out for himself and yeah he was a, he was a nuanced yeah, he had character. a little bit more he was, he was good a little bit more red dynamic than everybody else he was a brother and he was a brother-in-law like he pulled her out of that club and yeah he acted like a fucking wild animal and his brother found out you know he told his brother oh i got him in a fight down at the club but he knew full well that if he said because vicky was there with another guy then his brother would have flown off the handle and beat the shit out of her so like he was just a dude trying to survive in the most frictionless way possible this sounds so stupid but he was he was evil but he was a way more palatable evil than than jake that's was. fair that's he was totally like a, a cart almost like a cartoony kind of evil versus like a genuine i don't even know evil. if i think he was evil i think he was just tied to a live hand grenade and he was trying to survive uh, as best as he yeah. could yeah well put well put yeah that's true but when you're trying to survive you don't fuck the hand grenades uh sidearm don't tell me how to live my life so i alluded to it earlier the stylistic stuff that's in this movie that scorsese puts in was just it, it probably moved this up quite a bit on my list specifically the stills of the fights and the home movies to show that progression of like 10 years or something that was fucking perfection that was so good and the only burst of color in the movie is wholesome pure moments that have been caught on film which i think is probably a pretty big parallel to most people's lives right that's sort of the equivalent of the the 1940s instagram here's the whole movies where everything is perfect and it's in shiny color um and if you just watch that you'd be like mm-hmm. wow their life is chris, great you're, you're so fucking smart chris look at you look at you go i have it noted here as like i keep seeing mirrors and reflections but i don't know what the intention is but i noticed that in a lot of scenes there were always mirrors so you could see what joey was doing when he wasn't facing you but i don't know what it meant because i was like he's not self-reflective so is that supposed to show that i knew it was intentional scorsese might have just found that setting technique out and was like hey i like (laughs) this you can see the characters from multiple angles we're gonna put this in tons of shots i have one more thing just before we go to ranking so in bonnie and clyde that one was considered the first movie of this new hollywood production whereas this is now considered the final new hollywood film during that period that's when there was more separation from studio control directors could do and choose projects they wanted and they had a lot more creative control in the 70s we started to get a lot of movies where studios recognized there were franchise opportunities like star wars and so that's when they ended the director's control and went more into the importance of blockbusters and marketing and advertising do you mean we're not in the franchise era right now yeah we still yeah we still are yeah okay 800 lord of the rings movies later 700 star wars movies later god knows how many marvel movies still yet to come oh and and new avatar and new so Downton Abbey. Like it's <laughs> oh, and new Ghostbusters. Do you have any music note? I do have a music note. Most of this film borrows its music from like Italian and American pop culture of the era in which it's set, which is not very creative, but uh, did wonders to make this old film feel old, old, like 1940s old, 1950s old. And of course, along with the choice of black and white. But the music itself is great. It wouldn't be in your workout playlist, but if you were having like a romantic date or you wanted to set like an a sophisticated atmosphere, a little bit of elegance. Like these tunes are great to pop on, like Ella Fitzgerald, uh, The Ink Spots, Harry James. Like they're old tunes, but they still hold up. They're fun. They're kind of stuff you would hear in like Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 3, that kind of thing. And yeah, they've got some charm to it. It's different. I think if I'm going to have a romantic date, I'm not going to put on the soundtrack about a guy who beats the shit out of his significant other all the time. No, no, no. But these were popular songs. Like before they were in Raging Bull, they were just radio songs. It's funnier the way I said it. It is. I was thinking the exact same thing. I have a musical right. note. Okay. See. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know that I paid too much attention to the music, but I did notice in the one boxing scene where there was just complete silence. And I think that was maybe the final one, which I thought was a nice sound choice. The boxing scenes were cool. This was a little bit different for the time. My understanding is a lot of the boxing scenes prior to this, uh, the camera was set as a spectator, but Scorsese really made an effort to get in the ring and really simulate some, try and simulate some of the emotions that the boxers would be feeling, kind of looking straight into the gloves of this big brooding opponent. And um, again, there was one where he gets hit and the blood just covers the judges. Yeah. That was that amazing. Was just, that was very Tarantino-esque. Yeah, right? And then the blood dripping from the rope. I liked that too. He said he went to saw, see a couple fights to like kind of get a vibe for it. And he saw the blood on a rope thing like live happen. He's like, that's sick. I'm putting that in my movie. I read too, sorry, Jordan, that he changed the ring size. So as we got closer to the end of the movie, the rings were constructed larger and larger to oh. make him feel smaller and smaller. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, folks, we're at that point in the show where we're going to rank this bad boy amongst the other films we've seen so far. If you're following along with the YouTube video, there's a list at the top of the description on YouTube to check out our lists or on popcornpeeps.com. But without further ado, Sarah, where are you going to slap this bad boy? I'm putting this in my sixth position below Memento and above Dr. Zhivago. I loved everything intentional about this movie and its construction. And I also liked the character of Jake as one dimensional as some may think. I thought that it was an incredible performance and all of the performances in this were incredible. Very cool. That we we were we were Memento Zhivago buddies until I now. Thought, wait, 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 wait. I thought Ghostbusters got placed at the bottom because it did something nasty to women. And this guy gets number six. It did something nasty as a joke and as to move the plot this is just a shitty person i'm not ranking him in my top six okay. i'm ranking this overall movie so i'm i can't make fun of women but i can physically harm them and it's fine then okay okay good, good. jordan for no. fuck's sake jordan <laughs> thanks everyone it was great having a podcast no i totally agree with you sarah we were even talking about that shelly might have actually said i wonder what sarah's gonna think of this one because we were like you know what in ghostbusters we're supposed to admire venkman and in this the um phrase de Sure, he's a piece of shit. There was a lot of potential in this movie, but I found the dialogue painful and annoying, and it made the movie plod along at a frustrating pace. Felt like it was way longer than it needed to be to tell the story it did, and yet somehow failed to put the things in the story that I needed to see. So I am placing this very far down my list at number 26 below Ghostbusters, only because I just didn't enjoy watching it, and I will never watch it again. I also enjoyed Ghostbusters more. That's not the takeaway. I'm also putting it at 30 below Deer Hunter and above Bridge on the River Kwai. Wait a second. You think uh, Deer Hunter is better than I this? I resonate with any of this movie. Yeah. Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter at least had some... I, li- I like the Deer Hunter takeaway. I just felt like I didn't get to take away anything from this film that I personally could uh, grow from or I found that resonated with me. Maybe I wasn't the target audience. I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's a masterclass in technical production, but the narrative left me wanting. It's got imagery that's going to stick with me for ever. I just it is Deer Hunter just makes me angry to talk about. I just don't like I'm already over this movie. I didn't ever need to watch it ever. I'm glad I watched it. I don't think it's that poetic and we needed two hours and ten minutes to tell us that Jake's yeah, a piece of shit. It took it took them two wife. hours like, to tell me that you shouldn't hit people when, when you're upset. Like holy fuck. I don't know. I, I like how the this one showed um it was like the opposite of the wrestler. It made me think of like the wrestler starts when he has a redemption. This one is just like he never gets his redemption. Even at the end he's he's 
fucking piece of shit. Uh, if you act like an asshole, it'll ruin your life. Maybe I'm reading this wrong, but like it felt like there was almost like a directorial push to like, like make you feel for Jake when he's punching the wall in his cell and he's pulling himself up. Like, I don't know. I felt like they were like, he's learned something. I, I, I think you, really I think like you're something. Maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but either way, it didn't resonate. I think resonate you're reading it wrong. I don't think there was any redemption in this and that's what they're very clear on. He, that was just a petty party for himself. I viewed that as. Maybe I wanted a redemption story and so I'm painting that incorrectly and then felt unsatisfied with what I desired from the film because it didn't give it to me. Yeah, so one thing that they did keep repeating in the movie, which was good, was that he wanted to do it all himself. And at the end of the day, if you do everything yourself, you're the only one responsible with what you end up with. So that was kind of nice. But that whole scene in the cell felt weird and it was unnecessary because it provided nothing to the narrative of the character's growth. It was like, hey, I recognize that I did something wrong, but I'm not going to do anything to change my behavior. So why did you even fucking tell me that? <laughs> why waste my time with this scene? Precisely. This is probably the most polarizing film we've seen in quite some time. I think so, yeah. So I might as well throw my ranking in there. This is a long ranking. I did go back and forth quite a bit uh, even while we were talking I, I know I never say this but uh, this ended up 12 I like the Holy Grail better but I think Raging Bull is a better movie than Gladiator Chris what the fuck are we watching in episode geez, 37 of Popcorn Peeps in episode 37 we'll be watching a movie about a blue alien with like this red stripe on his head and he, he finds this earth boy and keeps him as a like a son instead of returning him to who he was supposed to no, oh no sorry sorry I got confused. That was Guardians of the Galaxy. We're watching Mary Poppins. What a switch. Because they, they call uh, Yanto. He tells Yanto he's Mary Poppins. Thank that was you. good. I liked it. Where can we watch it, Chris? I would like to, at the same time, I want you to all say which platform you can stream it for no incremental cost. One, two, three. Roku. Why do you fucking hate me? It's, it's clearly Disney. I said Disney I mean, Plus. What do you want from me? I'm only one man. <laughs> I got a Roku and some fucking random I said thing. Mega <laughs> upload. <laughs> That's fine. Sponsor That's us. Yes. You can yeah. also. So watch you can what you can buy it on a bunch of platforms. Hello everyone, welcome to the last episode of Popcorn Peeps. We're off the rails. What happened? <laughs> What's the alcohol content? So, well, I haven't had anything. Me neither. <laughs> also, this water bottle is pure vodka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're in rough shape today, ladies. I don't know. I think this one is actually going to be pretty All right, fun. Jordan, wrap this shit up. I'd like to extend a special thank you to those who support the show on Patreon.com. Special thank you to Craig Lewis, Erica Wilson, Sarah Renier, Frank Costa, Buster Hyman, Ryan Saarinen, Jim Wamsley, and Travis Support. Thank you so much for your support. Craig's dying. I can see him in the face cam. And if you'd like to support the show, check out the, show, or check out the links in the top of the description or on popcornpeeps.com. But until next time, I always appreciate your time. Hope you have a great evening. Bye.